I'm John Farmer, and this is a special midweek episode of the Georgian Bay Roots podcast. You're about to hear an interview that I conducted live at Summerfolk 47 with Carrie Latimer from Leaf Rapids. Hello, this is Carrie Latimer from the band Leaf Rapids, and you're listening to Georgian Bay Roots. Carrie, welcome to Summerfolk. It's so nice to have you here for the festival. Uh, we're talking on Saturday, so you've already had one evening. How is your weekend so far? Oh, our weekend is, is amazing, actually. We got here a bit late on Thursday night because we were going to take the ferry over um, from South Baymouth, but uh, I guess the dock wasn't working, so we had to drive around the six hours <laughs> with a bunch of maybe not the happiest people. But once we got here, it's just such a beautiful sight, and it made all of those troubles wash away, and it's just such a delight to be here. And talking in 2022, it's been a couple of years with not really festival scenes. Um, how has the summer been for you folks so far in getting back to well, full settings like this one? Yeah, it's been amazing. We were talking earlier and I was just saying how my heart is so full and I'm a bit emotional because today is actually our last day of the summer performances we've had, but we went to Yellowknife and played at Summerfolk and we were at um, Year Falls, Trout Forest and just, yeah, the festivals have replenished my poor shriveled heart. <laughs> And Leaf Rapids, you're here with a full band. Um, has Leaf Rapids always been a full band project, or did that start a little bit smaller? We did start smaller. Um, my husband, Devin, and I started the band. Uh, we wanted to start a new project after my former band, Nathan, split up. He was also, I should say, our former band, <laughs> Nathan. Um, and so Steve Dawson from Nashville, uh, Black Hen Records asked if we had a new project and if we had any new songs and would we want to sign to his label and make a record in Nashville and we said yes we do and then immediately started writing <laughs> frantically for it and uh, yeah so that kind of kick-started our our band and we named it after the town that Devin grew up in Leaf Rapids he grew up kind of half Leaf Rapids and Lynn Lake in uh, northern Manitoba and I always loved that name and that's a pretty big compliment to say, I don't know what your new project is, but if you have a new project, come and I want to record you. It's a huge compliment. We were in a workshop together, and he was accompanying Jill Barber, and then, of course, he accompanied me uh, as well, not having heard any of my songs, but playing it as Steve does, as if he's heard it a million times, and it was so gorgeous. And it was right after that that he, he, asked, he popped the question, and yeah, it was a really good, good kickstart and much appreciated. And yes, you're right, a huge compliment. Is the experience of Re Leaf Rapids uh, different than Nathan? Uh, it's, I guess, different different time periods of a person's life have different musical vibes. What has it been like transitioning from one musical project that had a lot of acclaim and a lot of attention, and was it two or three albums? Or, uh, yeah, I, I think three and an EP, maybe. Yeah. Um, what's it like to transition from musical projects? Um, well, I did a lot of the writing, but it was quite different because of primary person in that band was Shelley Marshall, who's one of my best friends, and she plays accordion. She's a brilliant writer and uh, sing, sang harmonies. We were basically partners in that band, so I couldn't call it Nathan after she left, and I mean, she just got her doctorate in nursing, and she's fighting public policy in Winnipeg right now. She's uh, doing amazing things, and so it was an amicable parting, but yeah, so this new project, uh, Actually, Joanna Miller, our drummer, is starting to write, and she's also a brilliant, she has a brilliant mind, and, and we're so excited to be performing some of her songs now, and 
so yeah, it's it's different, different group of people, different vibe, but still the same, putting the same heart into the songs. And are you drawing from different wells for that? that musical inspiration with Leaf, R Leaf Rapids than you did for Nathan? I know that Citizen Alien is a, is a pretty focused uh, thematic album, but was that true of your previous release as well? Not so much. I think my writing earlier was just, I think I was younger and had more angst and more anger, and, and it's much easier to write when you're in that <laughs> frame of mind. You're sorting out the world and how to fit in, and I think I was always searching for little beautiful moments of struggle come out of that and uh, I, I think I'm still doing that but f you're right from a different perspective I have two kids uh, they're older now 14 and 16 and I'm looking at the world differently maybe a little more trepidatiously but also with a calmer hopefully s slightly wiser <laughs> outlook <laughs> um, looking at the world differently I'm, I'm curious about that because I uh, I'm a new dad yeah. myself and congratulations thank you um, it's and I was like, there were lots of things I was worried about with the world. And in some ways that has been amplified for me. In some ways it's it's been allayed. Um, what's it like watching, because by the time 14 and 16, those people are pretty well their own people. Um, tell me more about how that, that experience has, of maybe watching children grow has changed that outlook and, and if that impacts the music as well in that. I love these questions, I have to say. Thank you for such thoughtful questions. Um, well, when I know that my earlier writing in my early, uh, like, well, I actually didn't start playing guitar till I was in art college. And as a, as a, uh, what's the word, um, when you're trying to avoid doing things? Procrastination. Yeah. yeah. So I was learning guitar. And then one of my teachers said, you should be a musician when I won a pub night talent show. And I thought, that's kind of an insult after four years of art college. But, uh Sorry, well, I've totally well, forgot the uh, question I was around Just kind about. of asking uh, how you're, if that changing view of the world, watching kids grow up in it, also impacts the way that you approach the music or the storytelling that way. Yes. Um, but you, you were saying you came to music later on. Um, I would say uh, the term for that was that, that I always used was um, like positive procrastination or, or useful procrastination when like, I don't want to write that paper. I'm going to clean the house instead. Only you were planting the seeds of a musical career. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, thinking back again about the trep maybe trepidation around the world or um, does that come out in the music or with something like Citizen Alien, you've been digging up store or sharing store I don't know if you had to dig them up or if they were always with you and you chose to put them to song but you're drawing on older stories yeah maybe my question's just getting all convoluted in that I but know, something, I know something about saying. the multi-generational perspective absolutely okay so when I was writing in college that's where I was going I was I think writing a lot about escape and about longing and feeling I was missing something and then I got married and had children, and that longing went away, and it was maybe more of a a mining for the for his for my own history and for their history, so I could share it with them. And uh, so I did have there were some family stories that were sort of passed down, but I was suddenly more interested in in discovering more about those stories. And then I then I thought as a challenge, how can I put these into song? Like, should I make a song out of my great grandmother? stabbing a lumberjack in the leg with with a pair of barbershop scissors and 
right? And how does one do that? Um, but I think, yeah, having children has made me more interested in my own history. And But there is a new song called Trepidatious Celebrations. So, yes, a little more trepidatiously feeling these days. How that often we, we'll hear artists talk about figuring out what stories are theirs to tell. Um, with something like an ancestral story, it's yours, but it also belongs to and comes from an individual. Um, and a lot of the songs on, on Citizen Alien are written from that first-person perspective in the storytelling. Was that a conscious choice, or was that just what felt right to serve the song, to, to put that narrative voice in the first person? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I thought too much about it, but I did want to just kind of use those stories as jumping off points and maybe not stick entirely to, because I mean, through history, it changes as you go anyway, and, and it's, a, it's a moving target. So I think I just tried to put myself in their shoes in that time frame. It's like for, uh, Citizen Alien, the song, the title track is actually about, um, I was hearing during the Japanese internment in the Second World War, um, they had very little time to pack and get ready. That was my, my Japanese side of my family. And uh, they were telling, the parents would tell their children, oh, we're going on a vacation. So pack up your stuff. It's going to be fun. And just to keep them from feeling the the angst and trauma that they were going through. And uh, even my aunts and my mother were not completely aware of what was going on, they said. Because they, <laughs> they remember a lovely childhood. Hmm. Despite that. Yeah, being caught up in, in the violence of that very shameful part of Canadian history. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which I didn't learn about till junior high school in, in social studies class. And I, c I was pretty certain that wasn't applying to my own family. And then I asked my f my mom and my grandma, and they said, oh, yes, we we did go through the Japanese internment. That's why they were in Alberta. They had a berry farm in Mission, B.C., and were had a few days to pack up, I think, one one suitcase or 100 pounds each and uh, were transported on a on a cow train to Alberta on a sugar beet farm and lived in a shack with the wind blowing through and and no running water and uh, yeah it was it was pretty horrible for them so for them to shelter their children I don't know I thought that was so beautiful and yeah You've gotta go, I'm coming with you We'll cross the new divide You are my mystery, future and history I'm always on your side I'm always on your side
how do you, I guess, I, 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 I imagine discovering, like, I don't know if there's an, an emotion other than anger that is a first response to that. Um, and, and yet songwriting is so often about catharsis. Did it take time to be able to tell that story? Or was it, was that not a story that you needed to tell until the time of your life when you were writing the album Citizen Alien? Yeah, I think it probably, actually, it wasn't anger that I first felt. Interestingly, it was this shame that I couldn't describe because I remember there were three Japanese people in the class. And so we had to sign a form. They were going to talk about the Holocaust, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the Japanese internment. And so they were like, we're just going to do it all in one day. And, and uh, I guess, I don't know if they even cover that in, in school right now. Maybe they do. But I thought it was great. But also, I just, when we were talking about Japanese internment, I could feel everybody's eyes like, oh, that's, that's you guys. And I, for the first time in my life, sort of felt singled out and, and uh, alienated. And I, yeah, I like my face went red. I remember that moment. Just, it was, it was shame, even though I hadn't done anything in that minute to, yeah, it was, it was something I had to process. But I was a teenager and it went away. And so maybe you're right. Maybe I compart I'll compartmentalize that till later when I can look at it. But I did do a series of interviews with my grandmother about it and, and, uh, I learned a lot more about it and just the way they went through it with such dignity and and they didn't want to talk about it, which is why I didn't learn about it. They sort mm. of just let's move on and integrate. Unfortunately, that was the sad part. So I feel disconnected from my Japanese heritage, which was the point, I think. Yeah, well, and and that's a natural, I think, protective mechanism for folks to say we've been singled out for these racist reasons and if we can try to blend in, then our children will be safer. Yes, exactly. Were there stories that were really new to you that you incorporated into the, the latest album or that you that you uncovered in the process of of frantically writing an album so you could uh, record with Steve Dawson? <laughs> well, that one wasn't the frantic one. This one I had time to, to, to delve into it. Um, the first one, uh, Lucky Stars, was the one we made with Steve. And, um, yep, forgot the question again. Uh, if there were stories that were new to you that you that you came across in the the process of of writing that album, yeah, um, I think the stories were just pebbles of like a, I might have heard the sentence your your grandmother, great grandmother worked in a barber shop and stabbed someone in the leg. But I wanted to find out you know what was the story behind that, and luckily my uncle had been delving into that, so it was. Um, yeah, I did have to, I did have to dig. <laughs> Never know oh, 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 oh. 
Kyoto to Victoria. You never know, do ya? You never From your leg, ripped my apron up and tied a tourniquet. With a heavy lane, you lumbered to the till, and without a word, you paid your bill. You never Rapids is not your only musical endeavor. You you're also a composer. Um, is the way that you approach composing music for for film or for other people's projects different than the way that you approach your songwriting more in this this folk realm? Yeah, for sure. When I do film composing, I have to be completely at the mercy of the film, and uh, I I don't do as much as that of that anymore. But I found it really interesting that you weren't supposed to be the main. You weren't supposed to be taking attention for yourself, which is kind of the point of being a singer-songwriter. You want to draw attention, but uh, it was just to to lift the storyline. And I loved that. And I love singing backup for people and being the background. It's a nice change because I get really nervous, as you can tell by me forgetting all of your questions in in two seconds. But uh, I love that that process of being behind the scenes, but now I'm actually doing more theremin composing, and I got some some sweet government grants to uh, to do more of a. I'm creating a new persona called Ofukami, which is a the O from my Irish side, and Fukami, which was my great grandmother's name, and it's going to be a kind of a performance art thing. I think I'm going to dig into a part of myself that terrifies me, like movement and sound and Okay, T tell us more about that. Like, yes. Because the theorem, and, and maybe this is a good time to describe for folks 
what a theremin is and how it works because my first thought there is how can movement and sound terrify you when movement is how the theremin makes sound true and i'm talking movement moving my body i'm creating almost like okay so ofukami is a someone from the future transmitting uh music and movement from a kind of a pod. I'm picturing people <laughs> in a really dystopian society in the future living in little pods and, and creating a world inside the pod. So it might be a green green screen pod where I'll do things in this. I, I think it's just how we've been living for the past few years and I, and I wanna bring in a new life into this little pod, which I guess is exactly what we're all doing when we're isolated. But uh, this theremin is an instrument that uh, I fell in love with maybe 15 years ago, and it's it's a uh, it uses electromagnetic frequencies around two antenna, a tall antenna on the right, which uh, manipulates the pitch. So if you put it, uh, an object into its field, the pitch will change, and then this antenna on the side is the volume. So you have volume and you have pitch, and it sounds like an opera singer almost, which you'll hear, which you'll hear soon. How did you come across the theremin? It's a, it's a wonderful instrument, and I think for a lot of people, we've heard theremin in different settings, but it's it's often uh, maybe like you're describing uh, film music. It's kind of in the background. It's adding to an ambiance, or it's creating a certain um, well, in, in the case of so much film and TV, uh, s sound effects, um, it's that, as, as folks will hear, as you demonstrate in a moment, it's the, well, the kind of stereotypical 1950s sci-fi uh, spaceship noise. <laughs> yeah. um, it's in the Star Trek theme song. It's in uh, someone walking by a few moments ago. Let us know that it was also in Good, good Vibrations um, and features in uh, prominently in Leaf Rapids recordings, <laughs> yes. uh, maybe most importantly of all. Um, <laughs> How, but how did, and the theremin, uh, for folks listening on the radio, they can't see that the theremin that you have is gorgeous. It's, um, the casing of it is wood with, um, now is, are those burn marks or those knots that were, were in the wood, like for the, the decoration on the wood itself? Um, or is that wood? Is that? It is wood, and I forget the meth, what it's called, but it's when they put, so I was playing a house concert and there was an artist there who had all this wood with this design that looks kind of like lightning or trees if you're um, mm. for the radio audience that can't see it. But it, uh, he put two electrodes on the ends of it and turns on this big Frankenstein switch and then it it's burned this lightning pattern. pattern so as the electricity the moves across, it kind of like an it electrolysis. It goes to meet itself, yeah. And so it, it just burns in this this lightning tree kind of beautiful pattern into the wood. And I also looked into that and, and heard that if a person gets struck by lightning, they'll often have this pattern tattooed into their skin. If you look that up, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I don't yeah. recommend it, but. <laughs> yeah, don't get struck by lightning. Yeah. <laughs> that is us. For those people listening live at Summer Folk, just get the <laughs> tattoo, don't do the first step. Way too dangerous. But as I was playing the house concert, I was looking at that going, wait a minute, you're making electricity patterns in wood, and I'm playing this wooden electrical instrument. And he was right on my wavelength. And by the time we had finished the tour, he had handed me this custom-built shell that fit perfectly over my theremin. It was, and yeah, yeah, he was, he's a beautiful man, Steve Schlachter. Where did you first hear or or 
I, I was going to say touch a theremin, but that, uh, <laughs> that may be a hand-wavy term. It's uh, the, the old joke is theremin for sale, never been touched. <laughs> but uh, I found it when I was recording with Nathan, there was a song um, called Discarded Debris where we thought, we need a watery s instrument to play a solo here. And then we thought, oh, what about the theremin? Where can we find a theremin player? And there was nowhere to find a theremin player unless we wanted to fly someone in from France or Germany. So we thought, oh, okay, well, let's look around and see if there's one in Winnipeg. And shockingly, there was a little theremin in the corner covered in dust for half price, uh, t probably just sitting there for I don't know how long. So we jumped on the chance, and my husband and I were both going to learn it and he quit in about five minutes and <laughs> went, nope, I'm not, I can't do it. And I just became obsessed. And so for four days, I, I had four days to create this solo before the mixing was going to occur. And I, my husband said I was shaking in bed still. I spent 12 hours a day just trying to coax some kind of melody out of it. And it was, it, it takes a while to get going, I can say, but headphones well are good. So you don't drive your roommates crazy. And and from what I know about uh, your your partner Devin's background, um, maybe more science based and a little more precise than the theremin would uh, would line up with. Yeah, because it doesn't have uh, frets or or any markers to judge the pitch. In fact, when I came in this tent, you have to sort of adjust the pitch with a knob on here to your surrounding, so that speaker would be in my field, and so it's it's not a precise instrument at all. So you need to have, I guess, pretty good hearing and. I actually played with the symphony, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, a few times. But the first time, it's it's odd because they're all going by the by the score, and he'll say, "Okay, everybody on bar 100." And if I don't hear the note to play along with, I can't just start on an A. <laughs> so I was I was terrified. My knees were shaking. Under my yeah, and uh, but uh, they asked me back a couple times, so I guess it worked. But yeah, it was uh, it's uh. Imprecise. <laughs> well, and and maybe a little more active and engaging because of that. Like, there's you can't just check out and close your eyes and and play the same solo that you've played a hundred times. Yeah. Well, I actually, it's muscle memory is pretty amazing. There are some theremin players that can do that. I myself cannot probably do that, but but you can get if you look up Clara Rockmore. She was um, one of the first prodigies of theremin, and she actually was the love interest of Leon Theremin, the inventor of the instrument, and uh, but she married a she married a lawyer. <laughs> but he she was a, a violin prodigy in Russia and I think at four years old she applied for this amazing music institute and she had to stand on a table for people to see her and she was accepted but because of malnutrition in Russia at the time. She lost her muscle function to play the violin properly, and that's when the theremin was introduced to her, and she just, like, I think even helped him uh, design the instrument to, to be more perfect, and so she could play, and she has perfect pitch too, so she could play anything. <laughs> what, a, what a clear illustration of how a lack of justice and wellness in society at large limits our ability to have the art that we could have like how many well, and sorry this this might be a bit of a rant <laughs> for those of you sitting here but like how many how many pe geniuses have we lost across every field because they grew up without what they needed to reach their full potential yeah yeah that's that's true
Um, I'll get off the soapbox uh, now <laughs> and, and maybe invite you to, to show uh, the folks in the audience today and, and the people listening on, on the radio what a theremin sounds like. Um, should we, okay. uh, do we put the mic up with you or do we? Um, yeah, maybe I'll okay. do that. Or maybe why don't I tell you and you can reiterate. Okay, yeah, let's do that. And we'll, uh, we've also got Kyle, who's hosting the stage today, um, going to join us so that uh, Carrie has an A minor to play to. Okay, so that's the pitch antenna. And you can hear that as Carrie gets closer to the antenna, the pitch is rising. That is really low. That's and that's the volume. Um, do you do you need an a chord or something from uh, from Kyle to uh, run something in? Well, you're very welcome. Beam me up. There's a siren in the background going by. Um, yeah, that's that's wonderful, and that's that's just all improvised. Um, I, I noticed, Carrie, that as you were as you were playing, the posture of your or the the position of your hand and your fingers are changing as well. Um, and is that like tell us more about that? Because from from my from where I was I was sitting, it almost looked like chord changes, but. Um, but there's no strings, so that's not true. Um, how, do, how does that work? Yeah, I think the biggest thing when you're starting to learn theremin is that just a little knuckle movement. Like you have probably half an octave just in your hand opening. So it, the increments are quite small. And, I, and also it depends on how you can set up the pitch to have larger increments if you want, but you won't get as many octaves. Um, so I set like the lowest note to my body basically and then the highest note at there. And then I have the whole full range of maybe four 
or five octaves in between me. So then I always know. Then you then you kind of have some muscle memory. And but theoretically, like how far? I guess if if you didn't have other electronic things around, how far could that field extend? Does that depend on the size of the theremin or? Um, oh, that's yeah. a good question. Um, well, guess because you're standing in front. If you were, if you weren't standing on in front of it, you mean how far could mm -hmm. it go? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to experiment. Yeah. Well, with that and after. I guess you've never been more than an arm's length away yeah. because playing it's really hard if you can't get there. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's uh, hard to play in bands that have a lot of members if they're jumping around. Also, I've been in other like rock bands where I have to kind of give a boot. I have to learn how to play and kick at the same time <laughs> so I can kick people out of my field and. <laughs> <laughs> Which is way different than the like lead guitar player who gives the kick just for just for show. Yeah, that right. This is a practical stage <laughs> kick. This is a practical stage kick. <laughs> and w so how um, how prominent is the theremin in the music that you're making now? Um, and can you tell us more about the other the various places that the theremin has taken you? Um, well, I just recently played in a rainforest in Tofino for um, the Ariosa dance society that they're aerial dancers and they have been doing these um it, this was a project with a visual artist who made these beautiful collage moth capes human size for aerial dancers to hang and dance in trees they were so they had um were they in silks at, th at the time or were they suspended on hoops or they're um, suspended on like, um, like mountain climbing yes exactly wow gear um what do you call those big ropes Anyway, they're hanging from big ropes in the trees. Rock climbers will, will know the proper term. But uh, and then they dance vertically. I guess they're vertical dancers. And I was, but it's uh because they're on ropes, they can't. They can't move back and forth. Right to a distinct rhythm. They can move around a little bit, but they aren't like the, if they go to a beat, they can't really move. Anyway, they wanted somebody who could it's, it's adapt a the music thing, to it them. Like. Yeah, yeah. So they wanted, so I was just kind of improvising along to their movements, which was which was really fascinating, and in a beautiful rainforest out in nature. And it was actually, qu I cried a couple of times, or just a couple moments uh, where they were hanging in the trees, these women in these capes, and, uh, and with this ambient music. I don't know, it just felt, I, I'm not sure yet. I'll have to process that, but it was quite a moving. <laughs> Thing. It sounds really weird, but it was moving. <laughs> yeah, English being an imprecise language, yeah. we don't have the exact term for the emotional experience of watching people mimic nature with art in nature. Uh, but that sounds Thank you. amazing. That was, that was what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was neat because it wasn't about any of us. It was. It was. It was like we were a part of nature. How far above you were they? Uh, I'm going to say 50 feet. Wow. They were quite high, yeah. And they would go up and down and, and integrate with each other. And and were uh, they climbing themselves or were people lifting them up? A little bit of both, yeah. Wow. They had people helping them climb. but uh, And they were kind of insect-like sometimes with their movements and, and other times flowing and, and quite still. And, and uh, I liked seeing the people walking by just wondering what the heck was going on there <laughs> the family just trying to check off the canadian postcard list exactly oh moth moth women in trees check <laughs> so you've you've played theremin in rock bands and in art installations with uh with symphonies um did you think you were going to be on that kind of a musical journey when you first 
tried to learn that solo in four days? No, I would never have guessed that. That changed my life the day we found that theremin in the store. Because I think if it wasn't there, I don't know if I would have pursued looking for it because there was so little time. And but uh, once I once I started playing it, I did just like, oh my god, this is this is my thing because I can. I'm a guitar player and a singer, and I can sing um, spontaneously, like I can improvise with my voice, um, but I can't improvise on guitar. So this is kind of like my second voice. Like I can mm. I, just playing with you. Like I can hear, I can play what I hear immediately, which is kind of where I would. I just love. I worship people who can do that with their with their guitars and their other instruments. Like I, I just always wished I could do that. So I have this, but it's. <laughs> You know, not everyone wants to jam with a theremin. It's, yeah, it's it maybe a little harder to take <laughs> yeah. to the campfire. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. pass a. Yeah, it's it's easier to borrow a capo than it is to find a power source in the in the backyard. Yeah, and I'm not sure it belongs at a campfire. I probably would be roasted. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You're uh, you're on fire. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> This is the end of, uh, like you said, the end of the festival season for 2022 for you. You're headed home after that. Um, and home is Winnipeg, which is itself a hotbed of musical talent. Um, what's it like, or I guess what was it like in the pandemic to have a musical community that is very close, but in so many ways people were isolating? And um, how? what was it like for you folks to navigate that? I, you're lucky that you live with one of your bandmates, I guess. Yeah. That is nice. We played a lot of music together, which <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, we're excited to be playing with other people now. And our bandmates live in Winnipeg, too. And just you mentioning that it's a hotbed. It's so true. And I, I didn't plan to live in Winnipeg. And I just went there because one of my, well, my fiance at the time was finishing law school. And, and I, like I said, was just starting to learn guitar. And I was seeing all this amazing music. And I was at a dinner party and a musician I didn't know very well at the time just looked at me and said, you're going to get stuck here like the rest of us. And I thought, what an odd thing to say. And then I moved to Vancouver and a year later I came back and realized he's he's right. It's just it's such a welcoming, generous, collaborative community that I haven't encountered in any other city. I, yeah, Well, anywhere in Calgary and Vancouver are the only places Toronto is has a, a really nice music community as well. And and uh, so we started playing with Chris and Joe and they they play in a lot of bands in, in Winnipeg as well. And we're just lucky to have them with us. And Somebody told me once that the magic of Winnipeg is that even your drummer can buy a house. I don't know if that's still true now. Exactly. Housing markets are wild, but. Um. Yeah, and um, so during the pandemic, we would think of ways we could collaborate. So during the rules when you could for some reason, not have people gathering in your backyard, but you could go to a public park and have five people <laughs> in a gathering. So we would, Art Jackson Haldane, who's a musician in Winnipeg, made this fake campfire with cellophane. <laughs> and we would sit around, five of us, we'd decide who five, which five people could come and jam. And we'd sit around this fake campfire. And it was, it was a, yeah, we were trying to get creative with our, <laughs> with hanging out. Well, and... I don't know that all of the regulations recognized that music and art are also necessities and are also types of medicine. That um, at least in Ontario, I think golf courses opened up before music venues did, yeah. and it's uh, yeah, it's funny how priorities are shaped. Yeah, it is interesting, and sports as well. If you think about how much money goes towards sports, and I mean, my children play sports, but it's you know, 
anyway, that's a yeah. whole other now, thing. You mentioned Jackson. Is that the Jackson who's also a uh, producer and was in the D Rangers? Yes, yeah, that's okay. Jackson. He's a yeah, he's a good friend. And is so thinking about that for those of you who uh, were here probably 15 years ago. I'm looking in the audience. Dave might remember uh, the D Rangers, the bluegrass band from Winnipeg. Instead of a bass player, they had a mud bucket, which was a a stick and a, a stick and a string on a big bucket, and just wild, upbeat, high energy folks. Um, and I also know that Winnipeg has. Um, music scenes that maybe lean to the heavier side as well with um, like punk and metal and yeah. that like what is it like to have that cross-pollination or how does the cross-pollination of that vibrant of a music scene impact the music that you're making or am I making an assumption that it does? Um, well now that I'm starting to um, the, the arts actually I will say the arts organizations in Winnipeg are amazing and the funding opportunities are I think Artists from other provinces will have come up to me and said, "We're so jealous of your funding, um, uh, funding opportunities in Manitoba." And so I think that really spurs on a lot of collaboration too. In fact, during the pandemic, they were creating projects for us. So I got paired up with a visual artist, and I was um, the project was for me to respond musically to her visual art, and she did the same to to our music, she created visual pieces. And uh, from that came the Moth Project because that was something else she was working on. And so it's just, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing being there. And, and I think you were right about just being able to afford a house and, and uh, happy, happy artists with, with funding. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, the art isn't better if people are starving. That's a, no, that's a misconception. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and I guess your comment around arts organizations, too, that's like so many things. If you want something to grow, you've got to have a garden bed for it. And and we've got to be able to nurture the connections and the communities and the people who, if we want that to have those sparks happen. So um, Right. And then, like we were talking about earlier, just I've been over the summer just really feeling the the attention and the and the need for what we're doing, like, it's not about us, it's about that interaction, which was really lacking over the internet. <laughs> I mm. really felt that disconnect. I couldn't play any more online shows. I think we played a couple, and I was like, no, it's, it's actually making me feel worse. <laughs> mm. Well, and I guess like it's, it's about relationship, and relationships are not as good on the internet. Yeah, it's a different... I think you need it to hit your eardrums. Actual... Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. It just... I like seeing the people in yeah. person. So for all the folks in the audience right now, thanks for coming. Yeah, You're helping you to make here. art better. <laughs> um, is there anything that you think that I should have asked you about that we didn't get to today? I don't think so. I really enjoyed your thoughtful questions. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for making the time to, to join us on a Saturday morning at Summerfolk. <laughs> They said to get your suitcase packed It is splitting at the seams It is splitting at the seams